This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. What's up, market wizards? Welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. My name is Jack Pelzer, here to introduce another amazing episode. Today we have our very own Jeff Carter, and he'll be interviewing Steve Werner. Steve was a trader for two decades at the Chicago Board of Trade before becoming a principal at an investment firm that was unfortunately completely wiped out during the Great Recession. But he bounced back, because this episode is about trading and so much more. Steve is going to talk about his troubles with mental health and addiction, something that's all too common in the trading community, and discuss how he channeled his success in getting clean into his current role, where he's the CEO of Hour of Champions, a lifestyle coaching company that helps other high achievers take control of their stress and anxiety issues, especially those who are trapped by the negative stories they replay over and over in their heads. Man, I should check that out, because I feel like I haven't been quite right since that one listener called my Jim Cramer invitation stupid in the SoundCloud comments. Anyway, Steve's fantastic, and this interview is exactly what you're going to need before the weekend. But before we get to Jeff and Steve... Let's kick things off with the man who's filled with only positive emotions, like the pink goo that coats the Statue of Liberty at the end of Ghostbusters 2, Mark Meadows, in this week's Market Reaction. We have some movement in markets right now. October is in full swing, and there are some big opportunities out there. In fact, we just had our largest trade ever at Top Step recently. A five-day, $9,120 profitable trade from one of our funded traders. He made it in a long of sterling yen. We did a blog post about it this week, and what strikes me is how patient the trader, Chris, from Japan, was. He got in a great trade that never really moved against him, but for three days it moved sideways, in a large range that saw his profits cut in half three times. Honestly, looking at this has got me thinking about my own trading and whether I could have handled that emotional roller coaster. Seeing $4,000 in profits turn into $2,000 in profits, not once, not twice, but three times. I can't speak for Chris, but I would have been tempted to pull the ripcord. He didn't, and it paid off in a big way. Ultimately, the price broke higher, and he was able to capitalize for more than $9,000. That led to a $5,900 withdrawal. All of this was without having to risk his own capital in live markets. That's the benefit of being a funded trader with Top Step. And that's your market reaction. Thank you, Mark. You can't trade right when your head's not right. It's a mental game, and so is life. Frankly, we don't talk nearly enough about mental health in this country, and probably not in your country either, unless you're in, I don't know, Sweden? Anyway, please sit back, relax, and enjoy today's Limit Up interview between our very own Jeff Carter and the renowned trader, life coach, and CEO of Hour of Champions, Steve Werner. Hello, everybody. This is Jeff Carter with TopStepTrader.com, and this is another edition of the Limit Up podcast. You can find me online at Points and Figures or at my blog, PointsAndFigures.com. Welcome to the podcast, Steve Werner. Steve is a former bond trader at the CBOT. And he's reinvented himself as the creator of the Hour of Champions. It's one of the fastest growing wellness communities on Facebook. I think this will be a very interesting conversation for people that are trading out there. 
because both Steve and I have trading experience and uh, a lot of wisdom and gray hair and wrinkles. Steve, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jeff. And uh, yeah, gray hair and wrinkles for sure. I appreciate that acknowledgement. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about yourself. Did you grow up in Chicago? I did. I actually grew up in Skokie, went to Niles East High School, and then shortly after that, I decided to go as far away from home as I could for college, and I wound up at Arizona State. Beautiful. Yep. Came back, and one phone call changed my life. I'm always curious about everybody's how did I get to the floor story. <laughs> yeah. My best friend and college roommate, fellow by the name of Howard Nixon, called me up about a week after we graduated and said, uh, you got to do me a favor. You got to take a ride with me to this place called the Chicago Board of Trade. And I said, no, I actually have a tea time at Met at like one o'clock. I'm playing <laughs> golf because I'm taking a few days off before I start working in my dad's construction business next Monday. And he said, come on, you're my best friend. I would do it for you. And, you know, my sister's making me go meet this guy who does this thing called commodity trade. I don't know what it is, but I don't want to go alone. And I said, I'll tell you what, if you have me at Wilmette by one o'clock for my tea time, I'll do it. And he promised me that I would. And we went down to the board of trade and we went up and met a fellow or a few guys uh, that had a clearing firm and were teaching young guys, actually recruiting and teaching young guys like us the art of pit trading. Wow. And they're doing that at Top Step Trader now. Awesome. How ironic. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yep. Which clearing firm was it? So it was Singer Wanger Trading Singer Company. Singer Wanger, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Norm Singer and Marv Wanger. Yeah. I walked in with my buddy, and the next thing I know, I'm sitting on a couch, and Norm Singer has a legal pad, and he walks a circle around me, and he looks down at me and says, you think you're just going to come here and make a lot of money, don't you, punk? And I said, <laughs> no, actually, I'm going to play golf, and we'll met, and like, I looked at my watch in like an hour and a half. He's coming down here. I'm going to work in my dad's construction business. And he said to me, I don't think so. And I said, what do you mean? Yeah, you don't think so. And he said, I'm going to take you down to the fourth floor. I'm going to show you what we do here. And my guess is when you leave, you're going to want to come here. And I went down. I looked at the bond pit. It was like controlled chaos, right? 500 guys in an area jumping up and down out of control. And I wound up back at my dad's office, and I... What, what year was this? This was 1982, summer of 1982, and I drove back to my dad's office, and I was like shell-shocked, and he looked at me, and he said, what's up? And I said, I, I don't know, Howard just took me to this place called the Chicago Board of Trade, and I, this guy took me on this tour of this thing called the trading floor, and my dad slammed his fist on his desk, and he said, there's young guys buying houses for cash on the North Shore. <laughs> You know, what do you need to do to get in there? And I said, well, I, I don't know. Like this guy gave me his card and said I should call him. And my dad said, well, let's call him. And we called him and we went down and we met with Norm a few days later. And 90 days later, I was in the bond pit trading. Oh, my God. So you didn't clerk or anything, really? I didn't clerk or anything. I went to some mock or simulated trading sessions and... I was taught this style of trading, you know, how to be the quickest guy on the floor and how to love to lose one tick, the smallest increment, you know, uh, yep. as fast as you can. And it was all about 
making trades and not losing money and following this system. And I did it. And, you know, 90 days later, I was thrown into the bond pit. And I remember like, it was like being at the bottom of the Grand Canyon looking up and I'm like, oh crap, now what? Yeah. What was your badge? My badge was WER. I am actually looking at it right now. I have it on the wall of my office, my badge from 1984. It's amazing because um, it sort of becomes a part of you and a part of your identity when you put that jacket on. You know what I mean? It sure did. And Norm, my mentor, said to me at the time, I just want you to know, this is going to be your life. You are going to only hang with people in this business. You're going to talk a language that nobody else will understand when you're out with your friends or family. That's right. That's and right. He was right. It's totally true. But I had a friend, Bobby Henner. He uh, was trading in the hogs. And one day he was at his kid's basketball game. And the guy said, how was your day at work? And Bobby looked at him. And he said, ah, I kind of had a tough day. And he said, what do you mean? He said, I lost 350,000. And this guy looked at him and his mouth just dropped. And Bobby goes, oh, shit, I forgot I wasn't talking to a trader. <laughs> yeah, or you found yourself, like, using hand signals, describing something. Going, so it was like six minutes, seven, and somebody said, and these people are looking at you like, what? what? Like yeah, you were I, talking a foreign language. It yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Sure, you're not Italian? Yeah, yeah super interesting. <laughs> yeah, but it, it became a way of life for me for much like you for 19 years. I, I loved it. What's interesting is, so everybody's path is sort of – different, right? But similar. They have different people that bring them in. And in your case, you were thrown right into the fire where in my case, I clerked for um, two years before I traded. And like here at Top Step Trader, they do paper trading to learn sort of everything before they actually trade with live money. It's just an interesting difference. So when you first started trading, what kind of size did you do and how did you get trades in the bonds where, you know, you're trading hundreds of thousands of cars, you know, at, at a crack? Yeah. So it was interesting. Singer Wanger had a formula and the formula was they wanted you to make 40 trades a day, one lots, you know, one contract at a time. You needed to make 40 trades in a day without losing money for two consecutive weeks. And if you can do that, you were fast enough and keen enough to understand, you know, how to be in and out frequently. And it took me a long time. It took me like, it took me six months to get that down. And there were several times when I thought like, am I going to make this? Am I going to make it? And, you know, I was cocky. I was a cocky young kid out of college. I remember Norm said to me, you know, I just want to tell you nine out of 10 guys fail. That's right. And I looked at him. I said, I feel sorry for the other nine. <laughs> and he looked at me like, dude, you better not fail now with an attitude like that, you know? And did your buddy make it? Oh, yeah. My buddy made it. He made it much quicker than I. He became a very talented trader. Oh, that's great. And was he in the bonds as well? He was, yeah, for his whole career. So was that sort of the singer-winger path there, which they threw you in the bonds? It was at the time the bond pit was the busiest, most active pit in the world. That was for sure. Uh, it was, you know, most liquidity uh, seemed to work perfectly with the system that they were teaching. There was great amount of trades from the smallest increment, you know, one lot. And at that point, there were a handful of guys that would trade 100 contracts at a time in 1982. That was unheard of. But... Uh, if you bid an offer all day long, you would get trades. And 
you know, their thing was speed, scratch and tick. And, you know, at the end of the day, count your cards. You should have, if you made 100 trades, you should have, you know, 17 winners, two losers, and, you know, 81 scratches, and you had a fantastic day every single day, you know? You kept coming back. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, it, it, uh, it, Singer Winger had a program at the Merck. So Steve was at the Chicago Board of Trade. I was at the other exchange, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And there they threw them in the S&Ps. And the reason was you could trade a one lot. You could get in and out of trades. Order fillers would take care of you. Unlike, you know, you wouldn't go in the euro dollars because the, you had to trade too big a size. And the market was, you know, it was a short-term interest rate. So the movement wasn't there like it was at the longer end of the curve, like the bonds or the notes. Um, and they threw some guys in the currencies. They didn't have a lot of guys in the uh, meets at the Merck. Did they throw them in the grains at the Board of Trade or not? I think originally, you know, most of the guys started in the grains when Norm and Marv were pick traders themselves. And then they figured out that it was more lucrative to be on the clearing side. And before the financials actually opened, I think the original singer winger traders were in the soybeans or corn for the most part. But they had guys all over the floor. Yeah. One of the interesting things I think about trading that I talked about in a previous podcast with Michael Patek, who started Top Step Trader, is different contracts have different like personalities, and sometimes it helps to understand your own personality. Like for me, hogs was good, euro dollars was good, S and P's was not so good, and currencies or pork bellies, forget about it. Did your personality sort of fit the bonds, or that's where you were, so you just stayed there forever? That's such a great observation, uh, to tell you the truth. And it did because there was constant movement and I am constant movement. I just am. And I was thinking about this the other day, the, the irony of I have now been gone exactly the amount of time that I was there. So I was on the floor for 19 years. I've been gone for 19 years and I've been involved, involved in an array of businesses, an array of challenges and fast times in business, slow times in business, hard times in business. For 19 straight years, I don't think that there was a real slow time in the bond pit. There might have been times that were slower than others, but there was never a time where you couldn't make money, where in the in the grains, you, you could go a year in a dead market where eventually grain traders would try to migrate into the bond pit. And I... I never thought about that luxury or how blessed I was to tell you the truth to be in that situation because it's just, it doesn't exist in life or in business. It really doesn't. I mean, there's so many different things about trading, right? You get to make decisions how many times a day. So you have a yes or no, buy or sell, whatever. And by the way, just because I buy to get into a trade, I still have a decision about whether to hold the trade or get out of the trade. I think it, it really trains your mind. And if you think about it discipline-wise, traders can, in other parts of their lives, be really good decision makers because they understand how to ascertain risk-reward really fast. They can go with their gut. They don't look back. I'm assuming that they're good traders, right? And so uh, I just find that fascinating, um, that people really underestimate. I, I, I think one of the, the funny things about the floor was it was like 4,000 people that couldn't work for anybody else. They were basically unemployable. But in that particular occupation, it worked. Yeah, that's that's been the story that I've heard. I, you know, I'm not a believer in that, I think. Oh, no, okay. You know, one of the reasons that I actually 
started the group that we will talk about is because of the stories that people tell themselves. And I talked to a lot of traders who somehow believe they only had the skill to be a trader. One of my great skills in my trading career was, I think, was my personality, my ability to forge friendships and get people to like me. And they traded with me not only because I was a you know fairly decent trader, but because I was a good guy and a honorable guy. And when you list all those qualities, they are transferable to other things in life. I, I have had personally, just in my own life, once I left the pit, it was incredibly daunting. I've had plenty of friends get divorced, uh, lives ruined. A lot of guys killed themselves. And so I think what you're doing is um, needed. Thank you. And um, not just for people like us that, you know, we're on the floor, but I think, you know, there's people out there that are electronically trading that maybe, you know, they want to give it up and do something else, or they want to figure out how to become a better trader inside their own environment. So talk about like people that are currently trading, how they could use what you're doing to become a better trader. Well, I, th I think anytime you can become a better person overall, you can, it, it transfers into anything that you're doing, right? So the Hour of Champions is built around my life story and, um, you know, kind of how I rebuilt myself from a crisis in 2009. And I actually became the victim of my own story at the time and then used a formula of mind, body, and spirit. I like to call it stability strength and spirit to rebuild myself. And I started doing this in the middle of the night, at like three o'clock in the morning, training very intensely on, the, on my physical fitness, my mental fitness, and my spirituality. And what it's done for me, it's just made me a stronger overall person in anything that I do. And I believe that when you are at your greatest level of physical strength, mental strength, and spiritual strength, you can carry it through to just about anything. So that brings us to why, you know, why somebody would use it, right? So, you know, if you go home and you look in the mirror and you ask yourself the question, am I running at optimal speeds in physical, mental, and spiritual health? And if you're not, what if you were, <laughs> you know, what if you were, and what would that do for you in terms of your performance, at work, in life, in relationships, everything, you know, and when I, when I challenged myself, I was able to measure it, right? I, for several years after uh, a personal and business crisis in 2009, I was at my lowest levels physically, mentally, and spiritually. So I've had similar stuff. Did you feel like you were a victim, like you were helpless? At the time, I didn't feel like it. I knew that I was in my mind. How's that? I told myself that I was. But I never said to myself, I'm a victim. I deserve this. I just lived it. I literally walked around for four years, and I would shake hands with people, and the story that I would portray was, I'm Steve Warner, the former really successful guy who's not so successful anymore. You should feel sorry for me. I had this business that was unbelievable that collapsed in the crisis i tried really hard but now I'm, I'm i'm beaten up so will you feel sorry for me 
Those weren't the words that I used, but it was certainly the message. Totally understand. That I radiated. And it got to the point where I got so nauseated of my own story and so crystal clear of what I was doing that I said, I have to change. And around that time, I was super fortunate and blessed to have a very close friend of mine's son, who's a doctor, a young guy in his late 30s, reappear in my life. And this is part of my spirit and, you know, mystically reappears in my life for no reason other than we crossed paths on a sidewalk. We decided to have breakfast one day. And at breakfast, he looked at me and he said, dude, what are you on? I said, what do you, what do you mean? What am I on? It's six o'clock in the morning. I'm having breakfast with you. And he said, I can see the glaze in your eyes. You're not the Steve that I know. And I said, well, you know, I had this business collapse in 2009 and I got very depressed. And they put me on all these meds. And I told him what I was taking. And he just looked at me and said, you're going to die. And when a doctor says to you, you're going to die, you kind of listen more intently, you know, rather than Jeff. If Jeff Carter said to me, you're going to die, I'd go, okay, Man. Jeff, what do you know? <laughs> you know, but when a doctor says it, you're like, what? Yeah. And he said, I'm telling you right now, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I can't imagine you want to live like this. So we're going to get you off all these drugs, and it's going to be the worst year of your life. Are you in or are you out? And I was pretty conscious of the fact that this was, you know, all part of the nauseating story that I was living. And I just said to him, I'm in. Whatever it takes, let's do it. So I know other guys that went to psychologists, or, you know, and got drugs. I never did. Uh-huh. I never went to a doctor to talk about I just kind of worked through, talked about it with my wife. But just work through my head. Did you, when you were taking the pills, did was there something inside you that said, you know what, this is just masking other things. This is not the right way to deal with this. Or did you really feel confident that they could do something for you? I was just so happy, to tell you the truth, that they knocked me out at 830 at night and I didn't have to deal with the world that I never even got deep enough to think about it. I... And a lot of people go to, they'll, they'll do like illicit drugs or they'll hit the bottle, right? I mean, instead of that, right? Yeah, that wasn't my case. You know, I was like mixing alcohol with the pills, but not like, I wouldn't say, quote unquote, hitting the bottle. I think having a drink or two accelerated the, uh, the process for the pills and knocked me out quicker. And then I woke up one day and I started Google searching like the ramifications of mixing alcohol with Klonopin <laughs> and these other drugs and everything pointed towards accidental death. And I Google searched cures for accidental death and I couldn't find any. No, there's not any for there's that. There's no yeah. cures. So yeah. when I, I'll call him Ari, when Ari put me to the challenge, I just said, I'm in, man. And he just said, buckle up. It's going to be the worst year of your life. And it was. Did you have to quit cold turkey then? No, we. you can't quit cold turkey. You, can't. you have to be... You have to be weaned off very systematically because if you're not, you can wind up having seizures, having a heart attack, a Holy stroke. Holy Wow. So, you know, he said to me, I want you to give me Jill. That's my wife. Give me Jill's phone number. I want you to go home and give her all the pills. And I am going to tell you, I'm going to tell her how to give them to you. And I went home. I said, I met with Ari. Here's my pills. I gave him your number. And it started that night. 
he gave me my first little dose of a drug. No time like the present. Yeah. It was like giving me a piece of sand, right, <laughs> instead of like a brick. <laughs> and I looked at my wife. I said, what's this? And she said, well, that's what he told me to give you. Oh, my God. And I could tell you that the second night I started experiencing withdrawals, and I texted Ari, my friend, my doctor, at 2 in the morning, and I said, I need more. I need more. And I don't want to use profanity on your show here, but he said to me, F you. That was the text that came back. And I'm like, dude, you don't understand. I'm having a meltdown. I'm 55 years old. It's 2 in the morning. I'm having a meltdown. And he texted me back, get in the street and run 20 wind sprints right now. Really? That was good advice. Interesting. I texted him back. It's February 2nd. It's 5 <laughs> below 0. <laughs> he texted me back. I know the date. I know the time. I'm up with you. I'm committed. Get in the street right now. Went in the street. I ran 21 sprints in five below zero weather. Wow. Came back in, called him. I said, okay, I did it. He said, how do you feel? I said, I feel better. He said, great. Get in the shower. Make yourself breakfast. Get your day started. I said, but dude, it's 2.47 in the morning. He said, I know the time. Get started. Let's go. And that was the first night of 10 months of hell. Were you an athlete in high school? I was. Yeah, I played hockey in high school and, um, you know, was just over, uh, you know, overall decent athlete. Wound up being a much, much better athlete later in life, to tell you the truth. <laughs> um, I was small and not very, not very fast, but, uh, and I also went, lived through a tumultuous time. Uh, my parents got divorced early oh, and I bounced around. Sorry. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I've always been a pretty decent athlete. I'm just always curious, like a lot of traders were athletic and and then how that related back to what you went through in 2009 as you were going yeah this fast forward that was 2015 15 yeah that was 15 right okay so in 15 did you reach back to your sort of that sort of stuff too and and then how did your trading experience help you get through that oh so yeah com the competitive side of me i just said i'm gonna win at this i'm gonna beat this battle and there were several times when he said to me, do you want to check in? Do you want to go into a, you know, to an inpatient center? Because really nobody does this uh, outpatient. And I said, no, I'm going to fight through this. And I never missed a day of work. My son was playing high school basketball at the time, never missed a game. Literally, I would go into the bathroom at halftime. I'd puke my brains out. I would lay on the floor sick as can be. But... I knew that I could reach out anytime and that there was a, a protocol that I was going to follow. I would reach out to Ari at noon. I would say, I'm having a massive headache. I'm nauseated. And he would say to me, get down and do 100 push-ups right now. Wow. So dopamine, just get that athletic dopamine running through your brain. Yep. It's exactly right. The competitiveness, the same, you know, a lot of the stuff that made me a successful trader, just the will to win and, and not give up. Interesting. and. So emotionally, you probably had to have a lot of highs and lows going through that, similar to what happens when you're trading. You know, I always tried to, you know, tried to keep an even keel, but, you know, you, your bottom line kind of affects you a little bit. Did that happen for you? Yeah, it did. I think, you know, as we as traders always learned how to compartmentalize. You know, I think after several years, we were able to replay the same scenarios 
in our brain, what's going to happen if we don't do this? What's going to happen if we do do this? Because a lot of the patterns just repeated itself. And it was the same thing for me. And, you know, I knew what I had to do. I knew what I had to go through. I knew that there was a win at the end of the line. I just didn't know when it was coming, which was bothersome. But I was promised that if I played by the rules, much like in trading, that I would be successful. And after 10 months for me, one day I woke up and I was sitting in my kitchen drinking coffee and my wife walked in and I literally had tears coming down my face. And she said, what's the matter? And I said, I feel good. And she said, what's the matter with that? I said, I haven't felt good in 10 months. Wow. I don't even know what it's like to feel good. And I remember calling, you know, my friend and telling him and he said, congratulations, you made it. And it was just by sticking to the program, you know, it was discipline. You know, I was a highly, highly disciplined trader. It just, it's, you know, I was never a gigantic earner, but I was able to make a fantastic living year after year because I was disciplined. Did you have to change your diet at all when you were doing this? Like no carbs or, you know what I mean? I, I've always been into fitness and health, but I did. I wasn't told that I had to. But what I was told to do was that I had to get in the best physical shape possible. And I knew there was a nutrition component to that. And part of the healing process was discovery. You know, I would have to go out and do the work and figure out like the best workouts, how to complement those workouts with nutrition before, nutrition after. And yeah, and I would tell you that today I'm 60. I'm in the best shape of my life. For wow. Sure. Yep. So talk about why you decided to start the Hour of Champions. Thank you for asking. I was hoping we'd get to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I had actually gone back. I had gotten certified in coaching. I had always retained a coach for myself post-trading uh, through the uh, businesses that I was in. I, I invested a lot in myself in terms of professional and personal development, and I liked it. And... In the summer of 2018, I called one of my college friends who had known my story, and I said, uh, Mark, like, I know that if I went through this, there's got to be 10 million people that are going through this, and they're hiding, right? They're masking their pain. Like, I'm not opposed to therapy. I'm not opposed to medication uh, under the right circumstances. But what I found out the hard way was that I was medicating grief. I thought I had depression, and what Ari taught me was that I had fear, and I didn't know how to deal with the fear, and my way of dealing with it was to be put on medication, and he taught me a different way of life, and I decided that I was going to share this message with the world. So I don't even know how to start a Facebook group, right? right. I got on Facebook. <laughs> I literally, I clicked groups, and to rewind a second, when I was going through this transition... I started going to Lifetime Fitness at 3 o'clock in the morning where I, where I was a member and doing my workouts, incorporating some sort of mental toughness component, whether it was a video, a podcast, into my phone. Same thing with spirituality. I was told right. to identify and find spirituality, and I would do this all in an hour. And, I and spirituality doesn't have to be like an organized religion. Is that correct? 
the cliche that I love more than anything when people ask me what is spirituality. For me, it's religious people are trying to stay out of hell. Spiritual people have already been there. So <laughs> if you've been in hell, congratulations. You have so, you, you've already been introduced to spirituality because you made it through. So for me, it's like, you know, that just certain signs appear in my life. Like it could be, I could be at a stoplight and I could look at a license plate that say ADB. Those are my kids' initials. It might be like a high dad, you know, and to me, that's the way I identify it. Somebody else may say you're goofy, but. Right. You know, it's funny though, in our conversation here, what's interesting is your conscious is sort of aware of it. So you bump into this guy and you haven't seen him in a long time and you go to breakfast with him. And if you don't do that, right, you stay in a bad place. Or I die. As, as you come, yeah, or you die. And as you come, as you come out of it and, and, you, and you're sort of healthy again, your consciousness is raised. And so you do sort of notice these things. And I think, they call that what EQ or emotional intelligence or, but like what I've always found is if I keep my head up and my eyes open and my ears open and try to stay positive as hard as it is, you will expose yourself to something and then something will be put in front of you and you either choose to do it or not. And sometimes it keeps getting put in front of you and eventually you have to make that choice like Jonah and the whale or whatever. But it's just interesting the way you talk about it. Yeah, and I, I think for the traders that listen in here, the really the wake-up call that I had for myself on the spiritual side was when I was a trader, I think I had pretty much 19 years of uninterrupted success. I just right. did. Every single year was a great year. You just rolled it, yeah. And I, I, I spoke of my friend earlier that introduced me to the business. We shared an office, and one day we uh, – we got up to the office and we were counting our cards after work. And he looked at me and said, what's the matter with you? Like, why don't you want to be like Tom Baldwin or this guy or this guy? And I looked at him. I said, where do I sign up to be me? And he said, what? I said, where do I just sign up to be me? Like, this is the goofiest existence in the world. I come in here. I manufacture money. I go home. I have no employees. I have one clerk, no lights to turn off, no payroll, no anything. And when I lived like that, and I was so appreciative of the world that I was in, I was just showered with health, success, friendships, all this stuff. Right. You played within yourself. Yeah. When I left that exchange and my world changed and I got thrown into business and people didn't show up to closings, didn't return phone calls, I started getting angry, resentful, jealous of other people that had life and businesses that I didn't have. And it was like the universe just said, guess what, Steve? We're turning it all off, buddy. When you wanted less, we gave you more. Now you're playing the other side of the game. We are going to make it so painful to you until you wake up and realize this is not the way it works, buddy. Right? Nobody signs up for a life free of pain or a, a free ride. You've got to navigate through this. And that was literally my wake-up call. Wow. Yeah, you feel like Job. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and, you know, you asked about the Hour of Champions. So I started yeah. this Facebook group last summer. I literally went and I had a T-shirt. I, when, I, when I left the club one night in the middle of the night, a guy came up to me and he said, I got to ask you a question. Like, I'm getting here at 4.30 in the morning. 
you're leaving at 4.30 in the morning. What time do you get here? And I said, you know, typically 3, 3.30. And I told him what I was doing. And he said, wow, all that in an hour? It's like you're training for a championship fight. So I went in my car, I grabbed a business card, and I scribbled on the back of it, Hour of Champions. I don't know why, how that came. I said, I'm going to need this someday. And I decided to start a Facebook group called Hour of Champions. I said, I'm going to put myself out there. Free, free to join? Free to join. Some people are going to think this is egomaniacal. I really don't care because it's not intended. I, th I have this hunch that I'm going to get stronger by creating a community. This is my purpose. And if I can get people into this community, they're going to get stronger. And we are going to, we're going to disrupt the whole mental health business by healing people through my Hour of Champions protocol and a community. And I printed a t-shirt because I didn't know how to create a sign. <laughs> and I took a picture of it and I uploaded it into the, and, and I created a Facebook group with me and my friend Mark Shaughnessy, June 25th, 2018, two people. And so um, the three components are spirituality, physical fitness, and mental, mental toughness. health, mental toughness. Yep. Okay. That's interesting. Mental toughness that you describe it that way. When I was growing up, there was this coach from Illinois State and it was all about MTXE, mental toughness, extra effort. And, you know, it was drilled into your head. It's interesting that you approach it from that angle. It's a more proactive way to approach it than a lot of other ways that I've heard. You know, I think like mindset is really in vogue right now, you know, but mental toughness is a little bit different. I have a bunch of phrases that we now in the hour of champions called Warnerisms. And one of them is either, yeah, it goes like this. You either are where you are or you are where you tell yourself you are right. Very much like a trader. If you tell yourself, I don't have any transferable skills, well, then you don't have any transferable skills, you know. Then you get called to the mat on your mental toughness side, right? You get to this crossroads. Is that what I'm telling myself or is that true? And if you have a hunch it might not be true, you've got to make a mental breakthrough and challenge that. You can't do it on the physical side. It's got to be on the mental side. So how do you do that? I make a list of everything that I, I, I call myself to the mat and I go, okay, you know, especially if I'm working with somebody. Sure, sure. Jeff Carter says to me, I have no transferable skills. I go, really? You sound like a pretty decent people person to me. I'm a great people person. Was that, you know, a component that you needed to be, you know, successful in your trading career? I did. Okay, write that down. Sounds to me like you have a pretty good analytical mind. I do. Is analytics, is that like only for the trading pit or is that transferable to other places in life? What are you talking about? Of course it's trans. Okay, well, we've just proved you wrong on two fronts. How many more do you want to list? <laughs> right. Because we can go on all day long. The problem is you told yourself there was nothing there. Now we're challenging you. We're sorry to say we're proving you're wrong. Now we've proved there are components. Where can you implement them? Can you get mentally tough enough to go out and figure a way to implement them? And... That's where the challenge comes in. Are there exercises that you do to build confidence in yourself in those traits when you go to the mat? And then how does the Facebook community kind of interact with that? Oh, that's um, great questions. Yeah, well, I challenge myself every day. And, you know, it's so ironic that you just came from super slow 
Right. Where our friend Keith Morton, we'll give him a plug here, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, adheres to this fitness philosophy that you make tiny little incremental advances every single workout, right? You don't go from benching 250 to 300. You go from benching 250 to the next time you're there, 250 and an eighth or 250 and a quarter. But if you add weight every single time, you can't help but get stronger. So that's the way the Hour of Champions works, right? Every single day, we're getting incrementally stronger in our fitness, in our mental toughness, and in our spirit. And that's just by, sometimes it's just by learning, right? On the mental side, I believe you need to nourish your brain with information. You can't help but get stronger if you learn something today that you didn't know yesterday. You exercised your brain, you know, on the fitness side, I love to challenge myself. One of my favorite workouts is called Man Makers. They're almost like doing a burpee, but with dumbbells. Oh, wow. Yep. You do a, uh, you get in like a, uh, a push-up position with, let's say, 25-pound dumbbell on each arm. You do a push-up, a one-arm row, a push-up, a one-arm row, flip up to a squat, to an overhead press. Oh, nice. That's one rep. I'd be throwing up. I typically <laughs> try to do 50 in less than 12 minutes. Sometimes I break that. Sometimes I don't. I'm going to shatter my record tomorrow. I know it. But, uh, yeah, you feel it. Yeah, I feel it. But um, uh, what I've done is, so you know, I created this community so that people could interact, share their struggles, share their wisdom, share their physical gains, their spiritual gains, and their mental gains. And what happened was, after a year, we developed. You know, we've got two thousand people in there who are motivated. But there's a difference between motivation and transformation. Right. So now is. we're really calling people out. We've created an app called the HOC. I, I partnered with a group called High Tide, a group of young tech people that help coaches like myself create an app so that we can really scale this thing and provide live coaching, workouts, spiritual component, mental component, accountability, and this amazing community of people that are transforming and helping each other every single day. Really, Steve, it's, you know, one of the things like when you left the pit, it's kind of like PTSD, right? I was watching a thing on, on military people that have PTSD, and we think about these people that are in these situations where they're getting shot at and all that, all hell is breaking loose, literally. But the interesting thing is most of the people that have PTSD weren't in combat. And that's, I haven't delved into that fact that was put in front of me, but I think people like that could use it, not just, you know what I mean? Anybody that struggles, right? Anybody, the problem is we, we hide our struggles. You know, one of the great opportunities to heal is to help the next person. It just is. It sure is. It's just it fascinating things to your uh, mental state when you do that. It does. But you've got to get yourself in condition to be able to get there and then draw on that awareness and say, okay, here it is. I've gone from on the mat to getting strong. And now in order to get to the hero status in your own life, that's what we're doing in the Hour of Champions. We're taking people from the victim in their story to the hero of their story. And to get to that hero status, you've got to be willing to help that next person. And when you do, there's this 
feeling of greatness, euphoria, self-worth, satisfaction, whatever you want to call it, that is just beyond your wildest dream. It just is. And it becomes innate. It's really great when you make an introduction to somebody or help somebody and it, it happens for them. I mean, you feel good. Um, and you bank it in your karma bank or whatever. Um, you don't, I mean, like in the entrepreneur community that I circulate in, mental health has become a big thing. There's a difference, but there's not a ton of difference in some entrepreneur starting a business, having their entire life risk wrapped up into that business and being a trader where, you know, your entire life risk is wrapped up in trading your seat, da, 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 da. And if it all goes south, you're kind of SOL. And so a lot of people are starting to talk about this. And the other part of entrepreneurship that's gaining some steam, which is a good thing, is you give before you get. So people always go out and ask, 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 I need, I need, I need. And instead of doing that, you go, hey, what do you need? What can I do for you? And you don't even really ask for it back in a quid pro quo way. It's just something that's out there. And then the community comes back to you when you need it. Is that kind of what you're building or or sort of not the exact same thing, but sort of the same psychology around it or, or philosophy? It is. It is. You know, uh, and I, I've, I've done this with my kids, too. And it's so amazing when they come back to me. Uh, we use we have this philosophy in our house called we call it do a good deed and don't get caught doing it. Right. Don't look for the repayment. Don't keep score. Do it because it's it's making you a better person. It's building your character. And imagine, like, how do you build character? Right. You accomplish things. You do good deeds. You be honest, have integrity. And then, you know, you get the rewards for all of that. And, and that that is a big part of our community, about of the Hour of Champions community. It's it's reaching out to the person that's sharing their struggle. And I say this all the time to the people that sometimes, like I'll walk into a Home Depot and somebody will say to me, hey, you're the guy from Hour of Champions. <laughs> that feels good, I bet. It does. And I'll say, yeah. you know, we, we haven't met. And they'll say, well... I watch you, but I'm a very private person. And without getting into their grill, I just, sometimes I say, what's the benefit of being private? And they go, what? I go, I'm just curious, like, what's the benefit of being private? And they go, well, you know. And I go, no, actually, I don't. That's why I'm asking the question. I get it. I get that you don't want to tell people how much money you make or what your net worth is or yada, yada, but... What's the benefit if you see somebody on that page who's struggling? What's the benefit of sitting in silence when you may just save a life, you know, by sharing your wisdom? And it's it's amazing. It like unlocks the person. It's so cool to see that the next day that person is on there interactive. And I know how good that's making them feel. And they're growing. They're growing. And they've identified that. And then they could share that with their kids or their friends and talk about this amazing community, you know, the, to get engaged in. And that's, that's how it's grown to 2,200 people now because it's all been referral. Uh, because on Facebook, the name of the group is Hour of Champions. It's not Hour of Anxiety or Hour <laughs> of Depression. So when people are searching for combinations of words to get into groups, you know, they're not stumbling upon our group. That's cool. And it's, it's not just traders, ex-traders. Oh no, it's people from all walks of life. We got yeah. we had 
people from most recently from the Middle East, from Greece, from wow. Israel, from Australia, from a lot of people from the UK. Yeah, the virtual thing is kind of crazy, right? I mean, so even even this crazy. podcast, I mean, gets downloaded all over the world. And it's really fascinating to me that all of a sudden, you know, you and I are just having this conversation that is going to go everywhere. It's we, It's just, you know, where before if we were in the pit, we'd just be standing there talking and that's where it would die, right? Yeah, and I don't, you know... I, I, the one thing that I was always cognizant of, if I didn't show up one day in the pit, the bond pit was going to survive wonderfully. <laughs> right. Like, yep, I, I did provide liquidity in there, but I was a very little chip in a big poker game. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. In this, I am clearly, we, because we've built this community, are clearly affecting lives every single day. And it's so unbelievable to watch or to, I, I get people that reach out to me that say, I don't know you, but how can I help? I mean, come on. Like, it, that's the most gratifying thing in the world. It really is. And, that is cool. And I, I still don't even know where this whole thing's going. I, I You know, I, I just don't. I, I had an idea that I was going to get stronger through a community and that people could get stronger through a community. And, you know, now through the implementation of this app, Literally, we could reach tens of thousands of people much, much quicker. Right. I think in the world that we live in now, you know, politically, you've kind of got this horrible battle going on in the United States and in England and across the world. People just don't know where to turn right now for and and organized religion that is going down. So not as many people are believing in that sort of institution. And I think people are really searching for something right now. So Yeah, I think, I think secularism has really put a lot of damage on society. The fact that people, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a, um, a crisis in spirituality right now. There just is. There just is, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, you go back to Oprah doing all kind of that spirit stuff back then, which was really... Uh, surface stuff that was candy TV that you digested and shot out and it never stuck with you. But I think that was, you know, uh, what would you call it? Evidence of people searching for stuff. Yeah. And I think, I think people want spirituality. I think they're afraid. They don't know where to go, how to go. And what Ari, my doctor, he, he told me, how important it was going to be to my overall existence. And I would say to him, like, you know, okay, Ari, I came home from work. I couldn't find spirituality in my trunk. It's not in my closet. It's not <laughs> under my bed. Where do I find it? And he would just say to me, keep looking, Google search, read, you will find it. And he was right. Do you meditate? I, I do meditate. Yep. I, I, I meditate. Not for a prolonged period of time. I've got right. a little science down. Uh, I worked with a psychotherapist, and I'm a very fast-moving person. And I said, how am I going to meditate for 10 minutes? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah And yeah. she said to me, who said 10 minutes? How about 10 seconds? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? She said, who put, like a, who put a limit on it? How about 10 seconds? So what I do a lot is when I wake up in the morning, I just roll over. I have a five-minute guided meditation set in my phone. And while I'm lying in bed, I just hit the play button 
So you're not sitting with I'm your legs sitting. crossed, with your hands clasped, uh, you know. I'm just laying on my back, yeah. doing some deep breathing. That's my style. You know, if a great part of the world doesn't want to accept that and say that's not really meditating, it works for me. I'll tell you an interesting story. I Because I was on the board of the World War II Museum for a while in New Orleans, I got to meet some really cool people. And I met this guy named Jerry Yellen, and he flew the last fighter pilot mission um, over Japan and in the process lost his wingman. It was a mission that didn't need to be flown. It was after both bombs were dropped, but the Japanese hadn't surrendered yet. And the commander said, you're going up. We got this thing scheduled. And he lost his wingman. And he took the um, footlocker of his wingman back to Brooklyn. It turned out to be uh, Scarlett O'Hara's uncle or something. And he said to the mom, here's his stuff. I'm really sorry. And she said, it should have been you. And he was like, oh, my God, you know, totally. He was guilt. He felt guilty anyway. But then and he said he started meditate. He found meditation. Eventually, he went through hell. So he became spiritual, as you would say. Um, and he found meditation and it changed his life. And he wrote a book about it. But it's an interesting thing because I see people starting to do it. But and there's apps for it, like Calm and stuff like that. But, and I don't know a lot about it, but it feels sort of like you have to do it a certain way because society says that, you know, you do it, but you don't. Correct. <laughs> I figured out a way that worked for me. Yep. And I would, and, and the people that I coach or guide, I ask them to do the exact same thing. You know, what's spiritual to, to Steve might not be spiritual to Jeff. However you find it, you know, I have a place in Glencoe uh, along the Skokie Lagoons, a log that I went to in 2015 when I needed to just like really, really, really calm myself down. And I love it. We'll drive by there occasionally and my wife or my kids will go, there's dad's log. And they know, you know, they they, they just know. And there's a, a great appreciation for that. And I hope that other people can find their peaceful place as well. <laughs> Mine's in Grand Marais, Minnesota on a deck, but it's it's uh, closed now. So I got to find another one. <laughs> they're, they're all over the place. That's for sure. So um, Hour of Champions on Facebook, all you got to do is Google it. Do you have a website? We do have a website. It's hourofchampions.com. Tells you more about myself, our coaching program outside of Facebook. Our app with High Tide, the uh, the HOC crew, we call it. Um, and then, of course, you can find the Hour of Champions Facebook group just by typing in Hour of Champions. It's free. Uh, you know, we it's it's interesting that you mentioned politics. We ask people to please stay away from anything political. That's good. And it's uh, uh, people have been a hundred percent compliant. I mean, a hundred percent compliant today. If you're trying to get better, you don't need that shit in your life. So, sure. um, what about like uh, LinkedIn or Twitter? Are you there? I do have a, a Twitter account. It's Hour of Champions. I don't use it frequently. Trying to grow our Instagram, which is also Hour of Champions. We post on there. Would love people to join on there as well. But uh, everyone is welcome. A a anyone that's that's struggling in life and wants to grow and get better and share. Maybe you're stuck in therapy. Maybe you're stuck on medication and you're 
in a holding pattern and you feel right. like you're just not getting any better, this is a great place to break out. Maybe none of the above for you and you just want to join a group of, of folks that uh, you never met before and get introduced to a fast growing community of people that are just pulling for people and share some wisdom and and just uh, and just grow. Well, I, it's interesting, too, because, like, I think one of the things that I loved about the trading floor was I was a member of a community. And then when that was gone, I wasn't. And I found when I was electronically trying to trade, I was just naked, like in my pajamas in front of a computer at home. It was so sterile. And so the worst, wasn't it? Yeah. A community like that might have helped uh, a person like me or somebody like that's trading a top step trader. Now, you mean it's all computerized. It's not changing. So you need to build community where you can strength in numbers, sharing information, willing to help the, the next person. You know, that's the spirit of our champions. And it quite candidly was the spirit of the bond pit too, where I was at. We had some amazing, amazing people that just, you know, if you, if you had your integrity and you were an honest person, you can have an unbelievable opportunity. You could. You really could. And some of the most charitable uh, people I ever saw were on the floor. For sure. Well, thank you very much for uh, being on the Limit Up podcast and uh, look forward to um, seeing your progress with Hour of Champions and hope that uh, people that are listening today check it out. I do too. And thank you so much for having me. And there's so much commonality between trading, <laughs> you know, they, like you, you identified the community, the honesty, the integrity, and what we're doing here. And I talked to a lot of former traders who, again, you know, have told themselves this story that they don't have the skill to make the shift. And I, I hope if they're listening here that they jump on our platform and, and find out that they do. Because there's a big world uh, in trading and outside of trading. Yeah. Yeah. Traders are amazingly resourceful people yep. and some of the smartest people I ever met in my life. Yeah. And good luck to everybody in uh, on the Top Step platform as well. Yeah. 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 They're doing well. Uh, it's a really cool company. Um, and just, you know, as an aside, people that listen to this podcast don't get to be in the offices, but the way the people inside this company treat each other is uh, pretty amazing to watch. Um, it's unlike a lot of offices that I've been in in my life. So, well, thank you very much, Steve, for being on the program. Traders, thank you for making it to the end of the line for this episode of the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. We'd like to thank Steve Werner for sharing his story with us all today. And if you enjoyed what you heard, why don't you go and subscribe and more importantly, rate this podcast on iTunes. You can also join our Velvet Rope Protected exclusive private Facebook group, check out the Top Step Trader blog, and morning YouTube livecasts each weekday morning at 8.15 Central, which you can find at, wait for it, uh, YouTube, Top Step YouTube page at youtube.com. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode with a brand new guest. So in the meantime, everybody have a wonderful weekend, trade well, and namaste. This episode produced by Dante32.
Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.